Okay, welcome back to the Concert Honesty Podcast. This is episode number 156 with my guest, um, for his third time back, Adam Tendler. Adam's a good friend of mine who I've come to actually know through this podcast uh, and through a mutual friend of ours, Adam Selinsky. Uh, Adam's a, uh, Adam Tendler is a piano player, teacher, um, artist, sort of one of the foremost interpreters of John Cage's music, uh, Julius Eastman's music, Robert Palmer. Uh, he's just a good friend. He's been sort of my quarantine buddy, uh, texting throughout all of this stuff, just keeping each other sane. So... I always enjoy Adam, talking to Adam. I think this is his third time back on the podcast, and I hope you enjoy it as well. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. This is Adam Tendler. Talk to you soon. Bye. Well, let's let's um, let's gavel this to order, Adam Tendler. Yeah. Um, we are now boom on the record with the concert. And this is not your first time. This is your second, third. What is this? This is my third, fourth, fourth. Okay, um, we've maybe done two in person <laughs> I, and one coronavirus, or maybe we've done two coronavirus podcasts. I can't remember, but I think one. It's I've, I'm very, I'm honored that I've sort of. I feel like I'm less a guest and more just a character now. <laughs> <laughs> you're a bit, you're a bit player on the podcast. I think I am. I'm just one of the cast members. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I'm. You know, this is sort of this is sort of a last minute request on my behalf that we do this and. Uh, I'm grateful for it. And I've been, you know, you, I've been thinking a lot about the sort of pandemic. Um, there's all the issues going on in the world that, you know, we don't need to del- delve into any of the private stuff we've been talking about offline. But um, I think I'm curious how many people out there have like a pandemic buddy. And I feel like <laughs> um, oddly you and I, like you are somebody who throughout this whole thing, I've checked in with just, I don't even know why it started from the beginning just to be like, Hey man, how's it going? And like, we've sort yeah. of been doing that, having our, my friend, Mike Kent from Ohio, he and I do something similar and we called our senior coffee. Like, you know how like, <laughs> like old guys get together at McDonald's and sit around a table and drink their totally. 62 cent coffee. Yeah, exactly. That's sort of what I feel like you and I've been doing. And I'm just kind of curious now, not that the pandemic is over. Um, there's certainly issues right. in the world right now that are causing a lot of heat and pressure, like racial tensions and, and whatnot. I'm curious, though, just sort of like, let's, I don't want to avoid those conversations because I think they're important, but I'm kind of curious just to sort of take your temperature on how you've, you've seen yourself progress um, from the beginning of this pandemic. For me, I was really trying to sort of do the podcast to, to be like a ring of a tree as, I, as we go through this to be like, yeah. if I can have something, some data point every day to look back and be like, oh, wow, that's how my thinking on this evolved. And that's kind of what I was, what I, when I texted you last night to be like, I have a prompt. It's going to be easy. I don't want you to talk about anybody else. I don't want you to tell me what you think about race or how people should be talking about these issues. Like those are way too thorny and way too fraught with anxiety, at least for myself right now, for the two of us to try to figure out. But I'm just kind of curious to step back and be like, how have you personally been, if you were to sort of look back at your data points and assess just objectively what's been going on with you personally, how would you say that you've fared? Um, it's sort of like, for me, it's sort of like when you see a floor, when you see the, a map of the floor of the ocean and sometimes there's like these very, you know, dramatic hills and there's a plateau. And then sometimes there's like this trench Mm -hmm. and, I would say that I've had, I've probably bottomed out in a trench maybe two and a half times. When you say Um, bottom out, what does that mean for you? For me, I would say that that's like, I am questioning every choice I've made to lead me to this point Hmm. in my life. And with, with, with tinges of regret, um, and yeah, a bottoming out feeling of like, this is going to be hard to get out of bed today. And what's interesting is like, I would say before pandemic, <laughs> before pandemic, that would maybe happen like once a year. I'd be like, okay, well, this is that point. Here's that moment of the year where I get in the weeds, I spin out and I'm going to like, you know, doubt everything. And, and, but it's interesting that over, over this lockdown, there have just been, I think two or three, like I said, two and a half sort of distinct moments where I was like, 
oh shit, like this is tough and I don't really know how to navigate out of this. Um, the first time it was probably close to when we had discussed, talked the first time. Mm-hmm. I think at that moment I was feeling a lot of professional doubt. I think I was feeling um, that if there was any kind of momentum of my life in music, any of, uh, if, if my work had been building a sort of sandcastle or some sort of like thing upon which things were logically building upon each other, mm-hmm. um, that that was just dashed and that I was feeling a, a sense of actual grief in a way of like, of, of kind of, of, of that momentum and a sort of selfishness because I'm, of course there was, and this is a theme that's continuing through of like feeling bad for myself and then feeling guilty about feeling bad about for myself. Mm-hmm. So in that moment, unlike say last week where it was about grief and, and feeling bad about myself, but also realizing that and feeling guilty about that because there's huge social issues mm-hmm. that I can barely wrap even one hand around, you know what I mean? Feeling guilty about that and feeling like arrogant for even thinking about myself in that context way back. Um, it was because people were dying. Like so many people were dying so fast and there were so many sirens and it was just like a kind of hellscape. And, and I was like, which I, I just want to, my- I want to point out for folks who maybe don't know, like you live in New York and I live in like, New York and I live in Brooklyn. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, I, I hate, I, I don't want people to misread when I say ignorance because I don't mean that in a negative way. There's just, there's no way for someone to understand. I mean, you can get on Facebook and be like, well, I don't see any diseases here, like whatever. And I don't think that person, like that person may be saying the truth. Like they may be living in a, in the middle of a, in the wooded area in a rural Absolutely, place. Yeah. And like, they're just telling what they see. And then they get pounced on for being like, you're inconsiderate, but it's like also impossible for them to know what it yeah. feels like to be living in New York and have, be living in a 200 square foot apartment and hearing sirens all day and the anxiety that that brings, because it is different here, you know, like, so anyway, just to point out, like your data point is just objectively going to be different than someone who lives in the middle of Wyoming, you know, and it's not better or worse. It's just a different thing. It's just different. And, and our local news is different. And, and the, the reports of casualties is different. And for a good month or so, it was really intense because it was just like, here's how many people died in your city and it was interesting to be like, oh, we're not talking about a different place. I'm talking about like my city, like right here. Mm-hmm. And when I go to the store, I'm in sort of sort of interfacing with that thing, you know, this thing that's killing people. Anyway, um, in the beginning, there was a sort of there was just a moment of feeling like, all right, if I'm gonna if if I'm gonna stay in music. Uh, I need to do it for the reasons that I came to music in the first place. And I need to sort of like, if, if, if it has to do with loving music, okay, great. And sharing music in some way. Okay, great. great. And that's, if that's the only germ, if those are the only germs I can work with, then that's, I have to be okay with that Mm -hmm. going forward. So I kind of crawled out of that in a way, but it, it was a moment of feeling, and this is something about some of those bottom out periods. It felt very, and I'm not proud of this, it felt very personal in terms of like resenting other people, like mm. very personally. So I mean, if you don't, I mean, don't name names, but, uh, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> I assume, I, I don't, <laughs> well, you and I do privately, but that's, I, this is the other thing too. Like I really, I feel like it's important to have a friend you can say the crazy shit to. Like the stuff that is not yeah. moored in reality or sanity or any of the sort of foundational <laughs> beliefs I think a society should be moored right. upon. I also want I, – I, I appreciate that you're one of these – sorry, but you're one of these people in my life who I can just say the most absurd thing to because I need to get it out right. because it's in there for whatever yeah. lizard brain part of me there is that's holding on to some irrational thing. <laughs> And you're not the only, there's many people in my life, not many, there's a handful of people in my life like that, but I'm so grateful for that. And I feel like social media gives you this, this, this sort of impression that that's not a, that doesn't happen. And I'm like, I know you all have people who you are saying crazy shit to like, (laughs) you know, and so that anxiety does build up. Yeah. And, and, and at no point, even when I was experiencing it, and usually if I even dare share it, please. 
it's usually framed in the caveat of like, I am fully aware that this is an irrational reaction. Like very few times have I ever even thought any of my like feelings were actually rational or, or like, you know, grounded in any kind of, um, like valid it's valid because it's happening but it's not valid it's not like i can argue with it and really work with it or most of all doing something constructive with it so anyway the first time we had to do with that i kind of crawled out um and yeah and another thing that can help is feeling like there's a goal or there's something that like right now maybe maybe your priorities and your if you're if you're creating content for soci that actually just in a way it like hovercrafts over your life and then you have to start like doing other stuff in it and in a way that can be good because you're not left with your thoughts and the big picture questions which are never going to be solved like super quick and so all you can do is like spin. so like doing live streams and having like short-term uh goals and suddenly yeah and deadlines has has helped um, well, I want to. I want to. I want to ask out. you something about you said like. And again, please don't feel like you have to name names. When you said you had personal resentment towards people or a specific, a specific <laughs> people. No, no, no. I, again, like, please no. I'm not. I'm not trying to get like. I'm not trying to dox somebody <laughs> here on this podcast. But like, no. I'm curious about that feeling of yours because I don't. I I don't. I don't 100 identify with that exact feeling but I partially do. Like I mostly understand in terms of my experience, like I have found myself having feelings that like my, I keep thinking my therapist, like one Oh one, the very first feel this first, first session is like, just so we're clear, your feelings aren't proof of anything. Right. They're only proof of how you feel. And so right, like, exactly. if you, if you can't agree to that, then we're not going to be able to get much done here. <laughs> and right. like that, I've had to remind myself of that many times because I see someone advocating for something that I, I feel like they should be doing something else. Somebody has an opinion. I feel like, you know, or I just see someone being successful <laughs> during yeah. the pandemic, or I see someone being lazy during the pandemic and I get pissed and I'm like, that too, yeah. whatever. I'm curious for you though. Like what, <laughs> what was it that like, is there something specific you can say that is like, man, I, this is exactly um, what was happening. You know, I feel like I am tendentially, uh, uh, I feel like I am, I can't think of the right word, but adjacent, I guess is the word I'm looking for, to a lot of people whose careers I really admire. Hmm. And I feel like I'm very close to those people. And I think someone from the outside might look at me and be like, dude, you are you are one of those people. I don't know why you're creating but. For my sake, I actually do have a very clear boundary between what I think is happening with me and what I think is happening with person A, B, or C. Mm-hmm. And I think when all this shit was going down in the beginning, and I was starting to feel like my battleship was sunk and my momentum was su- sunk, for me, I had very, like, it was really more envy than resentment. I mean, it's two sides of the same coin, but I was sort of just like, I don't want to hear about your professional doubt because I think you're professional. You know, I was just mm-hmm. sort of doing that in my head. And I, what, what I was ashamed of was these are my closest friends. <laughs> it was like, and I really shut myself off. Like mm-hmm. there were, I've kind of went dark. Uh, like I just, wasn't responding to and people were like are you okay and i just didn't even i just i just was it's not mature and it's not rational but i felt in a way like just jealous and hurt you know you know in a way and 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 pretty hopeless um i think i've 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 crawled out of that but it's it's the thing over the last it's funny because then sometimes it's just creeped in there was i think we we went away for for memorial day Mm -hmm. and in the days leading up i think i started to get really freaked out about leaving the house you went to vermont right yeah Mm -hmm. and it was funny because it was my idea and this is why this shows why i'm like an impossible person to (laughs) to be married to for starters is (laughs) because francesco my husband was sort of he saw evidence of people in vermont really lashing out at people with New York plates and stuff like that. Mm. And people were really, one was race related and then there's others that weren't. And it was a real shame for the state. Like it became a thing in the state. Mm. Um, and Vermont, by the way, has a, 
has the Republican governor who's actually very outspoken um, against Trump, actually, and is very like he actually just did a very impassioned sort of uh, plea for Black Lives Matter and, and for George Floyd. So he's he's like, you know, as Bill Maher calls it, Republican classic. Like, <laughs> but but your point your point that Vermont is is not an uncomplicated state. I mean, it's not as simple Correct. as being like, oh, it's Vermont, Ben and Jerry's. They must be libertarians. It's like there's a lot of right. economic disparity in Vermont that you're not aware of. That correct, and 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 even when you go into sort of like trademark liberal cities, like let's say Portland, Oregon, or something like that. Usually, if you talk to anybody, they'll say, "Oh, it's really complicated, but it's really under the surface." And la mm-hmm. la la la. In Vermont, it's like not under the surface. It's like very clear. Like people have Confederate flags, like bizarrely outside of their. Because I say bizarre, you're in no way part of the Confederacy when you're in Vermont. But it's a way of sort of like people, in my opinion, asserting that they're a race. Like I'm just letting you know I'm racist by putting this thing outside, and well, that and, might be really unfair. Well, but me, even but, but even if that's let's let's assume for two seconds. <laughs> I that, shouldn't say no, that. no, no. It's fine. But I mean, again, this is a you and I are friends, and I know what you mean. And I and I don't give a crap if anybody else doesn't know what you mean. I I think the whether or not they are like let's assume for a second they're not. Let's go the step lower right. than that. To me, what I what I I mean when I see the Confederate flag in my home state. Um, and I know, and I know what little I know about that culture and the sort of ideology behind it. It's not 100% racism. Sometimes it's just leave me the fuck alone. Like, like it is a sense of like, um, this is my place. Now the symbology of the flag, all of that stuff is absolutely when people point out what it relates to, that's absolutely appropriate. It is definitively the flag of the South and we won. Like if you want to support the troops and you love the U.S. flag, like if you're that upset, if you're that upset about kneeling against the national anthem at the at the NFL, then you need to let go of the Confederate flag. Like I'm sorry, that is a like, that's a thing. But sometimes I think people use that as a like, I'm just like leave me alone, don't tread on me, I don't want to be talked to, and that can be slightly nuanced, a slightly nuanced thing from just I'm a racist, you know. Right. And I think I'm creating a, I can even create a whole narrative as is my want of like, I'm sure that if I engaged someone who has a Confederate flag in Vermont, again, the, the absurdity of it being in Vermont, which <laughs> is like the most Northern of the Northern States. I think that's just why I think it's funny. Yeah. It's strange. like if somebody in Georgia had a Vermont state flag flying out. So, I mean, it's <laughs> exactly. like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> but, it, but yeah, what's funny is that to your point, I, let's say I knocked on that person's door and if I was a really brave and, you know, a person of true integrity, maybe I would do that before actually in my mind, just checking off the racist box. And they might actually say, actually, dude, I'm from Georgia. And that flag means this, this, and this to me. And here's my, they may be raging. They may be white supremacists and and Nazis. I don't know. I'm just, yeah, I mean, all of the things are possible, you know, I think, I think what's interesting is that like, and, and we've talked a little bit about this. Let's say that there's a very, not to make this all about new, this random, people in Vermont with Confederate flags, but it's almost like the conversation and the national sort of dialogue or how things are dialogued on doesn't really allow me or really, it's not going to allow for the nuance or even the fleshing out of that. I, everything is a bit binary right now. And so if I put a Confederate flag on my car, I could have so many reasons for that, but because there's been a like a binarization of our thinking, I think, in this in our culture and our society. It doesn't matter what my reasons are. Nine out of ten people are gonna look at it and think that one thing, mm-hmm. which I just did three minutes ago. You know what I mean? Right. And so that's an interesting thing about this moment that I think can be troubling, is because the rules in a way have sort of been defined. And those rules um, I, of, of, of how we even engage each other or even engage things happening. The rules have been defined just, I think they have. And, and we, one has to really play by them or suffer sort of, sort of the consequences. Like, not like it's some consequence, I can't put a Confederate flag on my car, but... Um, which I don't want to. Yeah, I think that should be, that's clear to me and should be clear to my listeners that you're not that. And if anybody wants to take issue with that, they're more than welcome to. But again, 
your feelings about Adam your feelings about Adam Tendler and the Confederate flag aren't proof of anything about Adam Tendler. So so by all means, we can have this podcast today, so we could establish that I'm itching to have a Confederate flag on my car. That's why I'm gathered up here today. No, I mean, but (laughs) I'm blushing. No, but um, my point is, it's, it's insignificant what I think, and I think that 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 say the extreme example of a Confederate flag. You could take it with many less extreme examples of things that actually might be really worth fleshing out. And it's, it seems, maybe impossible isn't the word, but kind of emotionally dangerous or, or, or perilous or somehow there's there, to, to not actually engage in a very binary way hmm. with things. Yeah, that's just that's, because. So, so I think that's why I think that's a part of a frustration that if I'm going to say there's been a third bottoming out, that second one was when we were about to go to Vermont. Again, sorry to wrap this up. No, please. To wrap up that to wrap up that convers that that thing is, I really wanted to go. Francesco actually became a little bit nervous about the whole people f- freaking out on our car thing, and he yeah. was like, "I don't know if we should go." That somehow made me like, and I think this also just shows that right now things are very raw and they can make emotions do things that are not even explainable. I just was upset for like three days about that. And Mm. and he didn't do anything wrong. He literally said, I don't know if we should go. And I just got so upset, (laughs) like really upset. And what's the, the weirdest irony is that then we did go and then I got kind of weird about going mm. because suddenly I was like, I actually am realizing as much as I complain about feeling isolated and like stir crazy, I'm actually feeling very safe in my routine here. And the idea of leaving feels like frivolous, a little bit decadent. Like we don't have to go. I think our fish is going to miss us. Like, is this a good idea? And like the whole, suddenly that became a thing. Yeah. I would call that, I would call that the half. I said there's been two and a half bottom out. That's one of the half one because it's so bizarre and mysterious and there's no point to it. The third one is happening like literally right now. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what you and I have been. And, I'm in, I think we're sort of having a simultaneous bottoming, bottoming out together. Yeah. And so we're holding heads, hands and jumping into the empty swimming pool together. <laughs> and, and I would say it's been for, for the last few days and it's come with its com- commensurate like guilt because – for every time I start to feel like raw and upset, I start to think I have no right to feel anything because I mean, how, how in a way, how white of me to actually look at what's going on in the world and be like, what about my feelings? <laughs> what about my pride? And I just, so I'll do that too. Or I'm just like, the truth of the matter is, and I, I have, and I've said it to you before is that there's a the part of me that had an aha moment that saw that uh, um, over the last couple of weeks, um, there's been a clarification on my end of just what I feel from each like side. Of course, there's no side that says racism is okay. Okay, mm-hmm. let's all like we get that. Um, again, someone who, someone might argue with me and say you don't get that, and here's why you don't get that. Okay, fine, but let's just say that. Like, I can say that, obviously, I'm not debating whether or not racism is okay, but some of the language of of what to do in terms of, like, helping, solving, progressing, and healing, and changing, all of those things, and who has to be engaged on that from, from police to artistic institutions, which I don't think... I don't know if anyone in the world is thinking about that except us because it's our field. Mm-hmm. Francesco's dealing with that in fashion, because he's works in fashion. So right. he's sort of a guy, he's was sort of like surprised that I was even saying this was happening in my field. He's like, what? Um, and I was like, in my world, it's like, Oh, is this happening anywhere else except my field? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, this is the thing, so- this is the danger of social media. I think like not only is our own personal, not only are our own personal beliefs siloed in social media, our, our economies are in terms of the fields that we interact in, are also siloed. Like, and this is something that has happened. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen yesterday. What does it mean siloed? Siloed means like, um, 
you, you are like you've blocked somebody, so therefore you have less and less opposing viewpoints, and you just become mm-hmm. sort of stuck in this. Your family tree is what well, is a trunk. There's no there's no evolution. There's no discern dissenting opinion in terms of what it is that you the information you're receiving. And so you see it with, it's why I'm so gobsmacked when people think I'm crazy. When I say that Trump could, could have won in 2016 It's because in 2015, every one of my friends, not every one of them, but a lot a vast majority of them were like, went down the whole hashtag blocked and blessed sort of tour. Mm. Like anybody who has a dissenting opinion, I'm blocking them. And so then they got this outsized perception or impression that Hillary Clinton was going to win because they were hearing nothing other than that. And I, I think as it pertains to all of these issues going on right now, the fact that social media is the tool by which the predominant mode of communication is happening, I'm trying to be real careful right now just as a person to protect – like it's – again, like I understand all the guilt you're saying. I have it too. I've been thinking about my own whiteness since the first time I went to Trinidad and was smacked in the face with it. And I I still am thinking about it. I don't know how to – I don't know what the answers are are all the time. But – when you enter the sort of sphere of of social media there's everybody has everybody has a flamethrower everybody right. and it doesn't matter whether you've thought about the issue or not or whether or not you're an expert paul krugman has the same fl- frame of uh, uh, flamethrower that i do donald trump has the same flamethrower i do except he can reach 13 million people i don't and but the it's just like it's this really strange battle that, frankly, I think the thing that I've come around to is like since the pandemic happened, I've been more aware of what I'm good at and what I'm not. Mm. What I can do, where I feel like um, when I bottom out, like for me, my first bottoming out was having to reckon with the idea that every decision I've made in the last 15 years of my career was made on the on the foundation of the fact that I have to travel everywhere. All the time. Mm. I was always commuting. Every decision I made, every pair of shoes I bought, every pair of pants I bought, is this going to be comfortable on a plane? <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. And that, and for me, I was like, I don't know how to make decisions that involve staying at home now. And I had, right. I had a whole two weeks where I was just pounding rum and Cokes and doing podcasts, just trying to talk to anyone who could help me figure out how to make decisions in a new way. Honest to God, dude, that's the only reason I started the podcast was to be like, I got to figure out how other people do this because I don't know how. And yeah. once I got out of that, like that after that first, in terms of my first down moment, that's when I organized my office. It was like, I'm going to set up a studio. Like now I can do this. I couldn't do that before. The other bottom, like the next bottoming out was like dealing with this idea like, oh my God, this isn't a month. This is going to be three months. <laughs> Jesus yeah. Christ. Like what? Okay. I've just gotten good about, I've just organized my office. How do I make the next three months feel like this is normal? And right. then you couple on top of it, George Floyd and the way naturally the rage people feel when you throw that on top of the pile, like I don't want to say I've gone dark because I have spent more time on the phone, more time on text, more time on Facebook message and email with my friends in in the steel band community than I have in my entire life. Um, But I really felt I was terrified. I still am. I don't, I have terrible anxiety about going on on social media other than to say, here's podcasts. And here's the other reason, because I know no matter what podcast I put out, the people who are going to listen to it are going to listen to 14% of it because I know the data. I don't need to get emotional about it. It's like, you can get mad at me about my views on whatever or being absent, but I've, but I've put out a two hour conversation about race with my friends and you listen to 13% of it. Like that's the data I have and I can prove it. You can see that? Yeah. I mean, Apple podcasts, Spotify, they tell you exactly how many people who have listened, who they are, and how oh my what, God. And not not their like addresses, but like <laughs> what countries they're in, and then what how much of each podcast they listen to. I mean, there's some. I mean, most websites you can determine, you can get the data on how how long someone hovered over top of a thumbnail with their cursor. Like that's wow. meta. That's, that's what metadata is. Like you can. Wow. That's and that's how companies derive their advertising. It's like, Oh my God, some, that's how Facebook, when you, when you're scrolling through on Instagram and you stop, when I stop on an Adidas ad, I don't have to tap on it for Adidas to know that I stopped on their ad because Instagram is sending them like, Oh, this ad stopped for two and a half seconds longer than every other ad. This dumb dumbs looked at. 
Wow. And so then the next day, I get an Adidas ad. You know, like, wow. like this is, it's not, I mean, it's, and again, I don't think that's evil. I think it's just true. Like, that's what's happening. And with social media, I feel like we as humans are ill-equipped to identify that. And then when you couple on our our evolutionary sort of crutch, which is when chaos happens, we go binary. Like, yeah, you fight or flight. That's it. Like, this is not you're not your 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 reactions are not an inhuman thing. You were doing exactly what your ancestors from 300,000 years ago did. Right. Um, and it feels it's natural. It's just as terrifying because the world isn't binary. The world is not a one or a zero. I mean, yeah. yes, yes, some things, some things are, but by and exactly. large, Wait. shit's way too complicated to say that it's just a one or a zero. And well, that yeah. has been the hardest thing for me to swallow about all of this is our chaos forcing us into this sort of like either in the right lane or the left lane. And if you're not, you're Hitler. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa hold up a second. Like <laughs> that was a huge jump. And I don't, I really don't want to live in a world like that. A plus B equals Hitler. Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what I was going to say is, like, it's been fine that, you know, engaging in in the news and watching and watching how everything's developing and also taking the temperature of my own neighborhood. I live in Bed-Stuy, yeah. which even, even as it's, you know, gentrified, as I am a participant in, I'm aware of that. I've been aware of that for a few years now. Um, that and that I feel like that my position, my standing in this neighborhood is actually at really bottom of, of the bottom of like the rung, mm-hmm. let's say. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I are I do feel like I am in part like an intruder here mm-hmm. in this in the culture of my neighborhood. But that said, uh, knowing my neighbors and I know them, my neighbors all by name, and they know me. Uh, and and I know the cops, and I know the post, the, the post worker, blah, blah blah. That combined with the news, and that combined that sense of the temperature of my neighborhood, it has also just in, in, informed and clarified, I think, over the last couple of well weeks, I guess, um, clarified my my take on all a lot of the sides of this and that's where before i was saying okay yeah not the side of what is racism is bad not that mm-hmm. but like defunding the police saying fuck the police do i do i want to say that do i want to say that to that black cop who <laughs> might save my ass tomorrow like do i want to yeah and, and i think I th- like in it, to and me so, it's like it's having to it's having to <laughs> sort of practice being able to hold both ideas in your head like you have to be able to as a human being say <laughs> Listen, um, we need to talk about how the police are funded. Exactly. And but then also you and need to they're... you need to understand that you can't make me go up to a black cop and say defund the police. I just can't. Like, and, right. and we, we as a society about, need to yeah. accept both of those things. And and how it's been militarized. Mm-hmm. And how I was reading an article about the a lot of the militarization of the of the police goes back to like to Clinton. It's not about like oh, yeah. this, again. It's not a it's not a red or blue thing. It's, it's not a Trump so, issue. This is all like. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, the initiative, the even the initiative of like, you have to use this military equipment or you lose it or blah, blah, blah. Again, that's all. Listen, we can all talk about how fucked up so much of that is. And but what what clarified to me as I started to think, holy shit, this person was murdered in front of people like and it was videotaped and no and the cops literally didn't care. Like they felt that powerful. They could like, I can't believe that that like is happening and that I have to put that into my culture and say that that's a part of my culture. It's one was literally like lynched on the street. Um, making room for that, making room for this. And then my thoughts and, and have been clarified, but they've also felt not because I'm so brilliant and nuanced, but it didn't feel like I could have that conversation actually with anybody to mm-hmm. say like, here's the thing that troubled me about that protest as well as the thing that's obviously troubling me and keeping me up at night about this murdered man. Like I couldn't, and I felt like there was literally no one I could actually talk to, to express that because I didn't want to hurt anybody. Mm -hmm. Again, I feel guilty even saying this right now because it's about making my 
burden of who do I talk to about again about well, but black but again, dads. like this is th- as far as my cognitive dissonance about about the way society deals with these issues. As I, I feel like there's a lot of demand for pe- white people to admit something, um, and then mm-hmm. and then when when genuine pe- when people are genuinely saying i don't know here's all the things that i've noticed and this is crazy and i feel so shitty about it then there's this weird pushback of like shut up we don't want to hear your voice and again i understand like people are entitled to their their uh, their emotions right now like this is a ve- i a, a therapy one on one i am never going to tell someone that what they're feeling isn't valid absolutely right. not but like if at at some point we have to be able to read intent and practice intent. And if you can't hear someone say out loud, like, I don't understand this issue. And if, the, if your only response is fuck you, you are, get out of here. I don't want you on my team. Then I, I like, this is for me where I feel like where I've been afraid to enter the conversation is like, Hey, 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 I've been on the record with my podcast for three years now, literally having these discussions saying that, these everything is more nuanced than we want to give it credence for. And so if, if like, do you really want to hear it? Cause I'll say it again, but it just seems like right now, you, like, are you expecting yeah. me to say something different than the, than right. the 155 episodes I'm on the record of doing? Like, I'm <laughs> like, you expect Trump to act differently after 75 years or whatever, however old he is. Do you expect me to act like, no, I'm going to tell you this stuff is hairier than you want to admit. And I'm going to also tell you that conversations I'm having with my black friends in the pan community might not jive with what you think the narrative should be. It's not always like if you were to presume that all black people think the same thing, that is also a position of privilege that you're in. And I want, and I feel like right now, and again, that's not something I'm going to, I don't push back when I see people making blanket statements right now about that sort of thing. But I do feel like at some point that, we need to acknowledge as a human being that just in the same way, like you cannot, you cannot paint with a broad brush about anybody. And right. we have to, as, as best we can to point out, we have to allow for all like diversity. Diversity means hearing something from somebody you trust that you don't agree with and having to sit there and right. deal with it. And if you, if you don't want those tor- sorts of opinions in the room, then I think you just need to say out loud that you don't actually care about pure diversity. You don't care about a diversity of opinion. What you want is compliance of what you feel like is going to make you the happiest. And that's okay. I just want you to say that out loud because I know a lot of people who don't agree with what you're saying. Like, like, right. And, and you, you prepare to sort of be this advocate, this ally, and it's all good intention. But I just want you to stop and think for two seconds, like, does what you're saying apply to everybody? Do you feel right. like, as a white person, you should be talking for all black people? Like, let's just talk about that privilege for two seconds. <laughs> right, exactly. No, totally. I, I mean, I, I think part of, my, part of my pulling away was that I found that every time I touched this thing that was helping me actually feel connected and, and that was helping me take the temperature of my friends mm-hmm. and of news... Um, that I was feeling more and more confused and that I was feeling more and more powerless, fine, but also like, it's just as if everything I was touching was, was back backfiring and, and um, everything felt also super shallow and hollow. Every, so much of what I was seeing looked and felt hollow, but then everything I was thinking that I could add to it also seemed hollow and wrong and, and, and not the whole story. And I kept thinking like, I don't know really what to do right now because I want to be participating, but I can't, I don't feel like there's an authentic way for me to do this. And then it just started to get a little weird because suddenly I realized like this happened actually with (laughs) weird analogy, but happened actually with my school where I was teaching third street settlement (laughs) when, um, when everything started closing down. And I think my school was just getting so many ducks in a row that suddenly they were the last, weirdly like the last institution in New York to be open. And we were all like, are we closed yet? Like, why am I teaching fucking middle C right now? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But it was a similar, where suddenly it got weird at Third Street. And suddenly for me with this, with this, suddenly it became like weird, like, oh shit, like, I haven't said anything. Like, I haven't mm. done sh- 
now I'm feeling kind of weird and guilty about that. Like, what's the right thing? And then what I think I sort of like popped in, I did actually write something and part of it was like, and I think it was something that I kind of fleshed out in a, in a dialogue with you where I was realizing like my own, um, I don't know, my own blind spots, let's say, where I think I had said to you, like, okay, if if gay people or Armenian people or middle, you know, if, mm-hmm. if, 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 an, if a minority that I might associate myself with or whatever was, like, routinely killed, like, and hunted down, and we, there has been what feels like, and again, there's the quote that it's not increasing, it's just getting videotaped. Mm-hmm. Okay, but over the last, then let's just say more has been videotaped in the last month and a half between a jogger being hunted and a person watching birds getting called the cops on him in a very, in a weaponized way, in a chillingly weaponized way. And she's like, I'm going to say this. And it's like, it's creepy to watch. Okay? And let's just note that she also donated to Obama was a Democrat. Yeah, no, totally. Like, exactly. and again, it's, like, it's like, this is not a, this is not, this is not this, like it doesn't fit neatly into the box that most people right. on the left want you to believe about a racist on the right. Like, I'm sorry, this after, exists on our side too, just so you know. But even after that, there was a funny thing is people would say then really like statements that are, that are also like head scratchers. Like someone said, like, this is the most dangerous racist is the racist who voted for Hillary Clinton. Like someone said that as a quote. And I was like, but I'm not so sure that that's the most dangerous racist in the world. <laughs> like, well, again, it's like, it, that that's like a- right now you have, you have to be like, you're welcome to your opinion. I just want to put out there. It might be possible that Amy I mean, Cooper I mean, might not be the same type of racist as say Richard Spencer. Right. Exactly. Like, let's just, can or, we agree on that? <laughs> like yeah, they're different like types exactly. of racism. I think that there's diff- and I think that there's some who might be more dangerous, which are the ones who are actually like going to try to, but you know, okay. Okay. But again, even that became like, Oh, I, I was with you, but that's something that now we're, now we're going into like really rhetorical stuff that now sounds kind of goofy, which is why, which can also be self-sabotaging on the left, blah, blah, blah. Um, but um, that was what my post was. And I, and I spent a lot of time on it because I was like, I don't want to, I don't even want to say black lives matters once at the end. I want to say it fucking every, I want to start with it and say it every single time. So it doesn't look like even that I'm, but I was, again, I was in this three dimensional chess mode of like, uh, and part of that came because a colleague, uh, and a friend kind of, I don't know, maybe I'm oversensitive, but I did feel like they were challenging me. And, and I was saying something about how I felt weird. I had posted something that showed a woman reacting to a looting in her neighborhood, but she was said it in a really compassionate way where she was like, I think she said something along the lines of this is how I feel like this destruction is how I feel. And here's my, and I was just beautiful, but I put it out. And then again, that three dimensional chess part of me said, I think I just put out a black suffering spectacle. And I don't think I should do that. You know, and again, whether I did or not, I started to go spinning out and I took it down. And this friend sort of, I think was like, Hey, I saw you do that. I saw you do the thing where you put it and it's not there anymore. No, 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 no. I wish Facebook had, I wish Facebook and social media had like a purgatory where you could, you could post something and it would just sit for 10 minutes and like, it wouldn't (laughs) go public and you could take after 10 minutes, you could think about it, you know, like exactly. No, 100%. And, um, I also felt like I was already in a defensive mode because I had sent a picture of those destroyed pianos to that friend too, which also, I guess made me like a Karen and a boomer because I, you know, I thought that sucked. But so I was already feeling really defensive. Like, no, 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 I get, I don't think pianos are people. Fuck. I I shouldn't have shared that either. No, 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 no. Because I was also seeing people spin out online about destroyed pianos and being like, fuck you. You think piano destroying is bad? Well, you're a murderer. It really, (laughs) it really unraveled in a way that I was like, I was sitting on the outside with like my popcorn going like, oh my God, what's what's happening? So anyway, with this friend, it was after that that dialogue, but they, where they were really challenging, like, and they were like, "Well, what if someone does think that? Like, what are you going to do?" Like, and I was like, "Well, I would, I would apologize, and I would say that wasn't my intent." And I would explain. They were like, 
anyway, just felt for all their good intentions, I felt kind of patronized in a way mm-hmm. of like, why are you, why are you even talking? Like, this is a, it's an example of why I don't want to talk to anybody because I'm feeling shitty even now. Anyway, that was kind of my post though, is that I, I put it out saying here were my blind spots. Like if I do think that I would be in the streets and I do think my social media would be like a scorched earth of memes and like calling to action, blah, blah, blah. If, if it was my personal minority. Um, uh, and I was like, well, that, that might suck. That might make, that might mean I suck. <laughs> Maybe it means that I need to think about and reassess. And this is part of, I think the positive thing of the last couple of weeks of that people saying, no, like reassess how, if you're going to say black lives matter, how have you like not, re- how has that not been present in your life? And that's where I started. That I love like my starting point. There's a really great, <laughs> There's a really great, uh, you know, Michael Che, the uh, yeah, yeah. comedian. He did. I saw a thing where he he and I'm going to totally butcher his 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 premise here, but he he was like, if you all want to know how we negotiate, our first sort of negotiation, our entrance into the negotiations was Black Lives Matter. It wasn't like <laughs> matter more. It wasn't like worth more. It was like matter at all like like that was the entrance into negotiation it's like it's it's flabbergasting to me that like like okay cool 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 like we've tried everything can we just start with matters yeah you know exactly. and it's like the idea that that is such a hard argument feels like such a well, hard thing to swallow and that so it's nuts. and talk about a flamethrower that 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 can just like blow up someone's mind and 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 friendships have been lost over the idea of like actually acknowledging that that we that we actually as a culture need to say that because again because there's this loss of black life that seems to be completely um dismissed yeah like on a on a bureaucratic level but anyway my point is even that i i put that out there and i thought i think this sucks too like this sucks and then i did i shared the thing what was the mattis i shared that oh that article and suddenly and then i then i felt like a scab for that and i just thought you know what this isn't working for me i feel shitty like I feel so fucking shitty and even my personal communication is feeling shitty because I'm not doing this right. Like mm. I can't do this. And so I found that I, I pulled away and I'm still kind of pulling away. Like I, I actually don't really, and that, that's also been kind of compounded and, and weird about just in terms of creating <laughs> sense again, kind of superficial and trivial, but like that it, it's an inconvenient thing to be like, well, I'm pulling away and I don't want anyone to see me. And I want to just like, I want to be off the radar when like, I actually have commitments to like do a performance and submit a video and blah, 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 blah. And so I, it's just a kind of a weird, weird moment where I do feel not dissimilar to other points in this, in this lockdown. Like I just am like letting I, I just am sort of isolating yeah. and, and not feeling comfortable around people and feeling like I said to you once, and then I'll, I really will be quiet feeling a little bit like looking and seeing people I'd love and care about and who I actually can understand what they're saying, all fighting and saying really like saying really hostile things to each other on a personal level. As I mm-hmm. get emotional, uh, I know that really well. And, and, uh, and as someone who wants to fix things and solve things and who always thinks everything is somehow their fault. <laughs> Man, that's <laughs> the that thing you ca- mentioned. You and ma- they caused it. You mentioned it like ableism as a, me. you mentioned the word ableism, I think over text. And I, and again, like I, I, I still am not quite le- <laughs> full, fully aware of what the, the words, I mean, my dad was handicapped in a wheelchair with ALS for three years. So like, I, I, I have a, I have some, some sort of sympathy and empathy with that, that aspect. But there's a huge assumption with, the sort of social media environment that everybody has the same level of anxiety as the next person. And I'll say for me, I, my tools are, are unusable if I feel like the only place I can use them is social media. And like that can't possibly be the type of scenario or the society that people who are fighting for good in the world genuinely want the best for people that can't possibly be an end goal that everybody must participate in social media in this very way. And if you're not, then you're not being a good ally because, um, I shut down. I, I completely yeah. understand what you're saying. And, and, um, 
it's this uncanny valley thing where like, I feel like I'm really good at reading intent. And I, I like to surround myself with people who have really, really highly tuned bullshit detectors. And I don't surround myself with people who like, I don't surround myself with people who can't see through the noise, at least two yeah. feet through the noise. Like I just don't trust people like that. You're not working hard right. enough. And, yeah. um, but anyway, just to pivot a little bit, I, I just to wrap it up, I'm curious now sort of moving forward, something that you, you taught me about, and that sort of was the first thing that popped in my head the minute you started mentioning that you were having some, some um, I don't know, insecurities about how to sort of enter a discussion. You are the person in this world who taught me about Julius Eastman. And, oh. and we talked about it on a podcast a couple, I don't know when it was, two months ago or whatever, in person. And you were talking about the issues around his music and about the way people yeah. talk about his music, when you program his music, the titles are very controversial. I mean, I would say, I would say they're not controversial to, to Julius. I don't, I never met him, but I would say he doesn't type. I mean, that's his life. And so, so like it may be controversial to me or to you, right. but that was his life. And the way people talk about, it, there's a lot of controversy around it prior to all of this. And when I think about you, Adam, in terms of your, where, where, like when people talk about what an ally is and what, an advocate can be. I feel like you're someone, and again, that doesn't mean you're not going to get shit from somebody, but I would imagine if Julius Eastman was around right now, he would probably be in the room with you talking about his music because it's clear to him that you love the shit out of his music. And that, (laughs) that, like the fact that you have white skin doesn't, not that it doesn't matter and not that you don't have to deal with all the privilege and all that stuff, but like, I don't know how you enter the discussion with Julius Eastman. It is a fraught thing, but you have a lot of, you have been an ally and been advocating in ways that maybe aren't completely obvious to you, but I learned about Julius Eastman from you. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I just yeah. want to encourage that a little bit in you to be like, man, there, the world needs to know about his music. It needs to be, people need to learn about the complexities around how people talk about that. You need yeah. many voices in the room, but you're one of them. And I, I know it's not uncomplicated, but I think you're an important one in that particular discussion. So if there's any, if that's any buoy in the sea of life to grab onto as we're floating here, like I do feel like you have a voice in that particular niche lane of our world that does need speaking to, because I'm 40 and didn't hear about that man until just recently. Mm. So there's, there's 18 year olds out there who need to know about Julius Eastman and need to be taught it in a way like you teach. So just, that's my sort of like elevator pitch for Adam Tendler advocate. Uh, You deal with that as you see fit with your own anxieties, but um, I mean, it's say, can before we wrap up, I will say also, and I guess it's, I always seem insistent on ending on pessimistic notes as you try to always end on an optimistic note. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. But I will say that that has also felt sort of what you just said. And, uh, before Eastman, and that to hear you say that really does mean a lot to me because it's it's not just lip service when I say that I really struggle with feeling actually quite like exceptionally worthless lately. Um, I'm with you. But, I'm, um, I'm, I don't disagree. I I think you've been exceptionally <laughs> worthless recently too, Adam. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's what I needed more. Um, but there also has been sort of a sense of like we started by talking about resentment and hostility, whether it's rational or not and whether it's, and and sometimes it can feel very personal. And then there has been recently a sense of like me in a very like pointed way, not sharing my donations, not sharing me going to the things in my community because I've been feeling very hostile and very resentful of the expectation that in order for that to be validated by literally random people, I don't, well, whether I do know or but people who aren't in the position to judge or validate me mm-hmm. or take my temperature of investment and passion and, and belief and uh, yeah, my own advocacy or activism or, or yeah that I somehow have to interface with a thing invented by Mark Zuckerberg (laughs) or a thing that was bought by Mark Zuckerberg or that's competing with Mark Zuckerberg on Twitter. Like that somehow I have to interface with that to let like random person in my mind or like zeitgeist or this thing out there that, that that's the only way that that's going to actually matter or be okay. And that that's, 
that's been interesting as it kind of can extend to other things, just even about music. Like if a tree falls, does it, does anyone hear it? And yeah, yeah. if I, if I learn this piece and don't share it, like if I have this beautiful, if I have this really funny thought, but don't share it. If I take this really beautiful picture of this tree at this park and I don't share it, is it okay? And that's been something that I've been sort of just mulling over the last maybe week where I've really just not wanted to share anything because I felt like instead of, me have feeling empowered by sharing my voice or blah, blah, blah. It's actually felt really the opposite. It feels like I've been giving power to other people and I've felt really vulnerable mm. and um, like, I guess, yeah, just hurt the, and, the and vulnerable of, by, and, and not pleasant, not feeling like I'm know, in control of myself. And it's so, a tricky thing. And I, and I think most, I think most people feel the same way, but would never want to say it out loud because they don't want to be called out. And I think that, I think it's important for us to really avoid the sort of, and I don't have a better phrase here, the, the sort of show me your receipts version of advocacy. Yeah. Like I, I really want to caution people against that for one purpose that you don't know what receipts the other person has. And you may have your ass handed to you in a way you don't ever want. And it may happen publicly. And I, I also just, it's just a punitive way to go through life and it's dangerous. And I think right. like, and it, and it shame, like, I don't know. I just, I have, a, I push back on shame as a motivator. Um, I think it does work in, in very specific ways. It's not like I've, it's not like I've never been motivated by it, but the vet over the arc of my life, the real changes in my life, you don't have to believe me, but I'm telling you, they did not come from shame. I'm telling people that right now, and you don't have to believe me. You can think because the other thing, shame is easy. Shame is shame. Shame is we are not running out of shame. Like right, exactly. shame is just pouring out of the out of the faucets, and we can't stop it. So I just don't want to traffic in that. Like we we have we have there's inflation now in the shame currency, and I right. there's too much of it. And I I I really want to sort of. I want to I want to invest in whatever the Bitcoin it's the version of this, whether it's empathy. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to invest there, and and um, that's a beautiful word, the way of putting it of, of of trafficking and currency, and and the return might be fast, you know, the return might be immediate, fast. And you might see an effective like in that moment change. But I was just talking to again, this is happening in every field. And I was talking mm-hmm. to my husband about it, and I just said, yeah, but for that satisfaction of that flare up and then this person disappeared the ceo is gone poof did but is that going to create the long-term thing it might felt really good and it might have been that shame and this and that might have been really effective in making that person go poof but did that poof like i feel like we need to in the long run we need to sort of create a like in the way that i want social media to have like a purgatory thing where it sits for 10 minutes before it goes live like we need to have a if you've actively been responsible for canceling a ceo you are now the CEO for at least a month. I want you to know that doesn't, and again, I'm not saying the CEO wasn't a piece of shit. I'm not saying they weren't doing horrible things. And I'm not saying you would be a bad CEO, but I do think people need to have an idea of what it is they're demanding and know what it is, the realities, like what's possible in those positions. And again, like it's accountability. That's what I'm saying. Like CEOs need to be held accountable, but if you're just going to flamethrower people and then hide in your basement, I'm really sorry. You need to come. I'm sorry. I just don't trust you. I just don't trust you. And that's maybe I'm maybe I'm a total maniac here. But but like I'm just right. not going to your voice isn't worth isn't isn't as valuable to valuable to me at the table. If you're only going to lob it from afar and not look me face to face and have to hear right. my voice. And I think as vitamins go and as nourishment goes, I don't know if it nourishes the 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 movement and the, and the actual thing like the big thing of change and the big thing of like, of moving forward, like, yeah. or actually trying to get people to your mass people to your, to your side for lack of better word. Yeah. But actually see it. I think a lot of that can really muddy, muddy it up and yeah. actually and- create, create distraction and create actually resentment for, for a cause. If it looks like it's being like trivial, if trivialized, right. Um, and, so, and I don't know what's going to, like, I don't know what works for everybody to, to move the thing forward. I don't know what's going to work. I just know, like, I can speak for myself. Like, I'm not going to speak right. for anybody else. I can tell you what works for me. Like, getting me on your side, shame and guilt, it's not that it never works. It's just, if you're going to come at me ten times, guilt's only going to work one of them. And so make sure when you come <laughs> at me 
make sure when you come at me that you have that you're 100 percent sure that that's the tool you want to use because i don't want you to be surprised if i spend my time elsewhere like right that's the thing that's just hard to tell to people and you can't do it on social media because everybody it's just an artful tool. anyway adam we will we will save this for another episode i appreciate your time and i i feel like i appreciate your time thanks for your patience today with me Man, it, in general, it was, <laughs> actually, you know what? Thanks for your patience every day with me. <laughs> I look forward to the reconvening of our senior coffees. Uh, usually, you know, my friend oh, Mike man. and I, we do it in the morning at like eight a.m. And you and I sort of fire ours up at about eleven p.m. So I'm, I'm really, <laughs> exactly. I, I'm grateful for this. And I will say, if I have one hope at, coming out of this pandemic, it's that you and I continue this this sort of correspondence back and forth and continue our sort of like private shit talking about the world, uh, walled off from society. Cause I think it's important to be your friend. And I, and I, I think I've said it in every podcast, but it's something I feel every day. It's, it really is a blessing. I, I, I'm so grateful to have your friendship and, um, and, uh, yeah. So back at you, sir. That's it. Tell Francesco, Francesco, I'm sorry that I mistook him for your tuner. I'll never do it again. Oh, please. <laughs> I'm sure he's delighted. All right. Well, I love you, buddy. See Take you care. Later, be man. safe. And we'll talk love to you, you soon. More. See you. Bye. Bye. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. This podcast was brought to you by Liquid Drum. Liquidrum.com. L-I-Q-U-I-D-R-U-M.com down in Waco, Texas. Uh, run by one of the founding members of So Percussion, Todd Behan. You'll laugh. You'll cry. The tambourine will become a part of you. Check it out, liquiddrum.com. Also, all the steel drums I play and teach on at NYU and at Princeton and in So Percussion are built by Kyle Dunleavy. You can find his instruments at dunleavypans.com, D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y pans.com. All right, talk to you soon. Take care. Be well. Be kind. See ya. Bye.